Hey, uh, Lucas, it looked like looking at the replay that Donaldson yelled something along the lines of it's not sticky, not sticky anymore after his home run in the first. Did you pick up any of that? And what's your reaction to him saying that? I saw it after the fact. I mean, he's a pest. Uh, you know, that's kind of a classless move. If you're going to talk, talk to my face. You can go, you know, cross home plate and do all that. Just come to me. Yeah, Lucas Giolito, none too pleased with the heel himself, Josh Donaldson. I'll say this, I, I, I do have some respect for the way that the things played out with Donaldson. I was saying this uh, the same day, I think it was Thursday, I went out to the game, the, the final game of the series between the White Sox and the Twins from when Minnesota was here in Chicago on the south side. You know, I got a little respect for what I saw from Donaldson there. He didn't necessarily seem to mind the the boos from the home crowd and, and things of that sort. So we'll get into some baseball discussion here. My second hour with you on the score. Uh, but do have a little little reaction that's been coming in on the BetQL, uh, or actually on the Rosen Hyundai of Algonquin uh, text zone, um, just from the previous segment I did where I'm counting down my 10 most combustible Chicago sports athletes of this century. At number 10, I had Zach Levine. Number 9, Devin Hester. Number 8, Duncan Keith. Number 7, Chris Bryant. And number 6, Brian Erlacher. And a few of the texters took issue with a little bit of that. Um, well, one question that came out actually from the 269 was whether or not Devin Hester will make the Hall of Fame, as I was referencing in the midst of my Devin Hester uh, explanation for him being in the top 10. I think he'll eventually get in. I don't think it's going to happen right off the bat. Um, I, I don't believe that it's going to happen in the next couple of seasons here. It, it feels to me like because we don't see specialists making the Hall of Fame very frequently, and it's a it's a fairly stringent process to make the Pro Football Hall of Fame, so I think it's, it's going to be a bit of a tough road for Devin Hester now that he is eligible, but I do believe he'll eventually get in. I, I just I don't see it happening in the immediate years to come here. But I, I do think it will happen down the line at some point, even if it is sort of the whatever they call the, the veteran committee that still votes you in or whatever. It'll happen eventually. A um, couple other texters, one from the 847, uh, Charles Peanut Tillman and Mike Brown for sure. And see, that that's the thing. Where someone like Peanut, I think there was combustible playmaking that came from Peanut, no doubt. One of the best corners in football. And part of that. In co- from a coverage perspective, part of that just from a sheer playmaking perspective, and of course the peanut punch, and I think there's there's a case to be made from Charles Tillman to perhaps make the Hall of Fame at some point here too. I mean, they essentially, you know, he invented a, a real maneuver, popular, popularized a maneuver is probably the more accurate way to say it, and you did see a lot of folks beginning to do that and creating takeaways defensively as opposed to just waiting for a turnover to come in their direction. And Peanut certainly popularized the, the ability he showed to punch the football out. That being said, it's not just, as far as the way I'm putting this list together, not just about the effectiveness that these individual players had at their position or their greatness at their position, but I'm certainly just I'm putting the raw athleticism in there as well. Doesn't mean Peanut's not a great athlete, but I think there's something very unique about the athletes that I put into the top ten here where Peanut Tillman, uh, certainly not Mike Brown, you know, no slight to Mike Brown, but you know uh, he, he's not one of these guys that have you in the top 10 of this full century on the Chicago sports scene. Uh, one other one from a baseball perspective, and we're going to spend a few minutes talking baseball because we're leading into an interview with the voice of the rival Minnesota Twins, 
Corey Provis. Going to talk to him in a few short minutes here. But one reaction about me having Chris Bryant in my top 10, the 847 says, love the show, but I'll throw in my two cents. Bryant should not be in my top 10. Jose Abreu stats absolutely smoked Bryant's in the same time period. Now, Jose Abreu, I think, I was going to make a Frank Thomas comparison, but that would probably sell the the defensive improvements of Jose Abreu short because the big hurt, one of the great hitters of all time, certainly not a guy who's viewed as a great defender or base runner or anything like that. Jose Abreu, one of the great hitters in baseball right now, but when you're talking about the other aspects of the game and, and the sheer athleticism of the position, that's the thing where, you know, it's not like Chris Bryant's power numbers are shoddy and it's not like, uh, you know, Jose Abreu blows him away in base running and defending, especially defending the variety of positions that he does. So that's where, to me, Chris Bryant, I, I put him as, as one of the 10 great, the 10 most explosive, most electric athletes who is also a great player. And so that's where I see the difference there between Abreu and Bryant. You want to talk about just great hitters? Yeah, I'd say Jose Abreu, a greater hitter, especially greater pure power hitter than uh, than Chris Bryant. But that's a slightly different discussion that I'm having related to this list right here. I'm curious, and Brandon, maybe you can help me out with this as I transition to a little bit of baseball talk. We have a few minutes before Corey Provis. Did it did it enter your mind at all? Because it certainly did pop into my head seeing the White Sox lose two out of the last three games here, and uh, and watching the way that it went down, it just it popped into my head a little bit. Just thinking about AJ Hinch and and being the manager of the Tigers and how slow Detroit came out of the gate, and then they they've been playing some good ball lately. And they win two out of three after the Sox ended up sweeping Minnesota out of Chicago. And it just looked like, all right, Sox getting ready to roll here. We know all the injuries that they're dealing with and everything. But I don't know, maybe it's the, the contrarian in my head or something like that. But just thinking about A.J. Hintz uh, managing the Tigers and watching them take the last couple of games against the White Sox. And it's not like Tony La is not getting it done as a manager or anything like that. But it, it does make me wonder. It did pop into my head a little bit just thinking, huh, I wonder if A.J. Hintz just – he was taking that series against what was a hot White Sox team as, as a little bit of a, a tip of the cap, a little bit of a how you like me now to, uh, to the Reinsdorfs and, and to the, the notion that folks kind of thought or assumed that he was going to be the White Sox choice, and he wasn't. And then now here he is knocking them off shortly before the All-Star break. Did that, did that occur to you at all, Brandon, in, in watching uh, Detroit take down, take the series away from Chicago? It came in right when they started the series. Once I saw yeah. A.J. Hinch like, watching the TV and seeing him there in the dugout, I thought about it right away. And it, it's crazy, too, because eventually you just see with this team, too, that granted, it's been a lot of injuries and they've been having the next man up mentality. And so far it's been working pretty good. And I have to give Tony LaRusso a lot of credit because, I mean, to keep this team intact and still be where they are is great with all, with, with all the injuries that they had. With that being said, though, it feel like eventually now it's starting to catch up to them a little mm. bit with the injuries. And you just hope that they can turn it around here, especially with this series against the Twins. But yeah, like just like you said, watching them lose two out of three against the Tigers, it, it, it stinged a little bit too, especially seeing who was in that dugout <laughs> yeah it was it was probably and i don't know if i was alone in that and you know we got a few minutes we'll open up the phone lines later on in the hour here because we're just a few minutes away from talking to the voice of the twins Corey provis but i, I did it, it certainly cropped into my head crept into my head a little bit just watching the two teams as things played out there but congratulations to uh to some of the all-stars in the lineup though as a you know just got done referencing chris bryant 
in him making the All-Star game yet again for the Chicago Cubs and Craig Kimbrell um, being selected to the NL All-Star team as well. So pretty cool for both of them to get that honor. Bunch of pitchers make it from the White Sox. None of the hitters, no one from the lineup, but several guys from the rotation, of course, Lance Lynn, Carlos Rodon, and Liam Hendricks. And uh, I know uh, my guy Groats, he was on uh, with Steve Rosenblum doing their their holiday suckage uh, throughout, I don't know, about 18 hours. I think there was another radio time going on with, with Grody and Rosenblum earlier today on the score. But I, I was telling Groats, I think it was just a couple weeks ago, I was trying to tell Grody, man, just give Liam Hendricks a little bit of time. He wasn't pitching that bad at the time. And uh, as, as excited as all of us were and continue to be about Michael Kopech, Hendricks has been one of the great closers in baseball for a few seasons now. So right now it appears to be money well spent, and it still allows them the versatility of however they want to operate with Michael Kopech. And we'll see. Who knows? You know, could be as soon as next season or beyond. Maybe we'll start seeing Michael Kopech making a few all-star games here too. But congratulations to Carlos Rodon for the resurgence that we've been talking about for what we've seen from him this season and to Lance Lynn as well. Because a lot of folks are thinking maybe he was done as the, the White Sox acquired him. And he's been, when the question has been asked of me multiple times here of, you know, if the, if the World Series were tomorrow, essentially, or if any playoff game were happening tomorrow, who from the White Sox staff would I want to be the starter? Lance Lynn is the answer I give. And it's not, it's not any shade to Carlos Rodon or, or Lucas Giolito, who's been struggling a bit. And I heard Rami Makhlouf talking about the spin rate and some of those types of struggles from Giolito here as of late. Since the, the heel, you know, Josh Donaldson and, and the Boo Birds coming out against him from some of his comments that we'll, we'll uh, play for you in just a couple of minutes here. But aside from that, though, I don't know that there's anyone else who I feel not even just in sheer performance is, uh, has shown themselves to be as dependable as Lance Lynn, but frankly, just kind of the dog mentality. You know, when you're going to open up a season when you, or a series, when you're going to open up a postseason run, if you're saying who's going to start game one, in a postseason series that's about to start up right now, Lance Lynn, to me, in productivity and in mentality, is the guy I think that that the White Sox should be pointing to. And that's been, you know, how I felt for a couple of months at this point, because I just I think that that he's got the right, you know, I suppose chip on his shoulder is, is a bit of an overused term, but but certainly the, the dog mentality that you want from someone who won't be sort of overmatched by the moment. You know, I, was, I was talking a lot with Yogi Roth about the intangibles of Justin Fields and how much that'll matter for him in transitioning to at some point becoming the starting quarterback for the Bears. I think that matters just as much for a pitcher. And, you know, I think, you know, with Lucas Giolito, how, who knows, perhaps whether it is, you know, a, a lack of sticky stuff like Josh Donaldson, not even alluding to, just flat out saying and claiming publicly about Giolito and some adjustments that may need to be made there by Lucas, or I think what's as likely as anything is maybe Giolito just, as we've seen earlier in his career, perhaps just mentally not being as focused, as locked in, maybe a little bit shaken by sort of being called to task by Josh Donaldson. And whatever this confrontation was that they had, you know, even afterwards where Donaldson supposedly went and approached him face-to-face, mano a mano, looking up at the 6'7 Giolito like, hey, man, what's up? <laughs> you know, what you want to say? You, you talk about saying it to your face, I'm right here, I'm in your face. They have some exchanges right there in whatever way that that Josh Donaldson kerfuffle may be sticking with Giolito. There's something he's going to have to work through there, but that, that doesn't mean Lucas Giolito won't continue to be a great pitcher as he continues his career here. But as far as just who's as steadfast 
as you would want your game one starter to be, Lance Lynn is, is my guy in that discuss, discussion. So congratulations to Lynn, to Carlos Rodon, and to Liam Hendricks on being named All-Stars for the American League. We'll take a timeout. We've got a preview coming up as the White Sox are in the Twin Cities. They're going to face the Minnesota Twins. We'll talk to the voice of the Twins on their radio network next here on The Score. What do the numbers say, right? And what do we know about the sticky substance? What does it do? What does it help with? It helps with RPMs. It helps with spin rate. Well, guess what? Mr. Giolito, your fastball spin rate's down 200. Your curveball spin rate's down four or 500. Your slider's down 200. <laughs> I got to say, man, that there's something about the heel that stands out to me in sports. And there's no doubt that Josh Donaldson has had no issue playing that role and you look at that last series, man, when the Twins were in Chicago just a few days ago, he thrived in, in that, that heel environment. Where I was, I was one of them out there in the final game of the series on Thursday. Myself, my wife, my son, we're out there. We were booing him as viscerally as anyone out there. I do not mind booing in good fun. So to discuss that end of things, we have the voice of the Minnesota Twins, their radio voice, Corey Provis on the Circa Resort and Casinos hotline with me right now. And, um, Corey, let, let's start here, man, because before you came on, I was talking a little bit about my, my exploits on the grill or lack thereof from this past weekend where I allowed other folks to, uh, to suffer smoke inhalation for me on the grill. What, what's your normal capacity that you operate in? Because you're usually busy this time of year, yeah. man. Did you get a chance to grill out at all? I did. Uh, you know, and, and I, my grilling technique and uh, – Skills were not great, but I really, during COVID uh, last summer, I'm like, what else am I going to do, right? That there's no baseball season, so if I'm going to try to get better, why not, you know, work at it now? So then I, I started working at it a little bit with chicken. So last night we did some chicken sausages. And it, listen, if you screw up chicken sausages on a grill, then, then you're doing something wrong. I mean, anybody can do that. I think I trust my eight-year-old to do that so last night yeah we had some chicken sausages and we put uh the corn and it wrapped them up in some foil and some butter wow. and put that on the grill and it, it was a nice night yeah i bet it was i bet it was chicken sausage okay so that's not necessarily one that i've made it a point to attack on the grill yet i have tasted yeah. chicken sausage it is not something i've ever done over an open flame maybe i have to put that on the to-do list moving forward uh cory of course as i referenced the voice of the minnesota twins also partner of mine over at the Big Ten Network, and you hear him all over Fox Sports as well. He is on Twitter, at Corey Provis. So you, you heard the voice there a moment ago of, uh, yeah. of the, the biggest sports villain in the city of Chicago at the moment, Josh Donaldson. He of the multi-home run effort in the previous series where the Sox faced the Twins. Uh, have you been, you know, in your observations of Josh Donaldson and, and calling the games, have you been surprised at all how much he has leaned into this, this notion of sort of attacking sticky stuff and, and trying to call out pitchers on it? Not at all. I mean, if I, if, if I was going to kind of put in, 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 a, in a group on that topic, you know, give me five players that probably would, would be as open as Josh has been, he would be on that list. Now let's go also back in time. So Josh signed as a free agent entering 2020. And after he signed, he's, he's having this conversation with our, with our GM, Thad Levine. He said, hey, so 2019, you guys had a great team. You won over 100 games. You set the single-season record in home runs. I'm sure you guys got 
into a lot of fights, right? And our GM said, no. He said, well, that's about to change. So that's, that's you know, that's, that's a part of who he is. He's a guy that doesn't mind stirring it up, and he's very big into numbers, as you heard there, and he backs up his points. And his points, they're not just, you know, declarative statements. I mean, he brings up some statistics that you can parse a little bit, and are they completely accurate? You know, sometimes they're not. And I don't know if Giolito's spin rate was, was, was dropped as high as he referenced. I thought it was more on the lower side. But, you know, did, did Giolito have something? Probably. Was it spider tack? I don't think so. But I think every pitcher in the game, if you look across the game right now, everybody was using something. And I, I put a lot of faults, you know, at, at Major League Baseball with this too big ant that you've had this in the rule book for a long, long time. But it's never been enforced. And it took the game to reach horrendous, horrendous offensive ineptitude for this to become a necessary talking point. And I'm not saying it was all because of Josh, because Mike Schultz, uh, it was a White Sox-Cardinals matchup. When Mike Schultz Mm -hmm. uh, was upset with how uh, Joe West and that crew treated uh, Gallegos, I think then it became a big talking point. But I don't know without Josh if we're seeing You may hate it, and I don't love it. I think this is something that should have been handled in the offseason and collectively bargained. But with, you know, the umpires checking the pitchers as often as they are, I don't know if it happens without a player like Josh Donaldson speaking up in the manner that he did. Corey Provis, the voice of the Minnesota Twins, here with us on Chicago Sports Radio 670 to score. Uh, do you get the sense that, you know, you, you referenced the Joe West moment there in, in tossing Gallegos, and it, it felt like it came out of nowhere. Now, it was in the midst, to your point, of all these essentially complaints that folks were having about just the putrid offense all throughout baseball and trying to get some more action going. And then here comes Joe West. Like, hey, let me check out your cap. Wait a minute, what? And then it, the, the world sort of blew up around the topic from that point. Was this Joe West kind of going rogue as we all sort of see him in being in that light? Or do you think this is anything that baseball had sort of had in the hopper to try and start addressing? Well, they had it in the hopper because even going back to March, we heard this from Commissioner Manfred that they were going to, to, to collect these baseballs throughout the season and they were going to start you know, harvesting all the data and then come up with a, with a resolution. Now, I am not confident that you know, because this was the company line that we heard for the first two months of the season. But to me, is it just a coincidence that it happened when it did? Because Joe West was interviewed by Ken Rosenthal in The Athletic, and then Mike Schultz spoke out, and Josh Donaldson spoke out, and not just with Giolito. Go back to what he said, you know, when the Yankees were at Target Field about Garrett Cole, and then Garrett Cole handled that question just horrendously bad when he was asked <laughs> if he's ever used, you know, spider tech before. Um, so I, I think that this was coming, but was it going to be something that was going to happen after the All-Star break? I think there was a push to do it, and the timing of it just seems to line up when all of a sudden, wait a minute, we're hearing some people, uh, hearing you know a guy that's umpired more games than any other umpire in the game's history speak up about it, and then you have a manager speak up about it, you have a former MVP speak up about it, that I think that there were many catalysts but it was going to happen, but I'm just – the timing of it to me is a bit odd that it just happened at that point. I think it took steps in order for that to happen at that time, and I think what we've seen is that it took you know some big names and some big moments to speak up about it, 
Hence, we're in this spot right now in the game. Corey Provis, voice of the Twins, here with me on the score. And also, if his voice sounds that familiar to it, it's likely because you heard him calling Cubs broadcast not too long ago as well. But at this point, a variety of different outlets you can hear Corey on. You can find him on Twitter at Corey Provis. Um, with Donaldson, with him not being in the lineup for tonight, do you get the sense that he, you know, White Sox fans may not get the chance to boo him through their television sets uh, throughout this entire <laughs> series? Like, how bad is his hamstring? You know, it's something that, you know, he, he hurt his hamstring. and it was, it was eerily similar to the first pitch he swung at this season was in Milwaukee. First inning, uh, he rips a double, and then he grabs at his leg, rounding first base. And sure enough, it happened again the other day. He grabs at his leg after rounding first base. Um, you know, what we keep hearing is that it's not a big deal. I guess he was swinging the bat today in the cage, but he is not going to play until he can go through a full workout on the field, uh, that he can take some ground balls, move around, run the bases. He's not going to play. So do I, do I see this being an injured list, you know, move? It, it potentially could be because there have been many uh, moments the last year and change where, you know, Rocco or the coaching staff, you know, may say it's, we don't think it's a big deal. Well, a big deal turns into a month. So he's got, you know, this is a hamstring, but we're talking about a guy that has chronic chronic calf problems this is not an acute you know one-time traumatic injury this has been ongoing for a long long time the twins knew that when they when they sought him out and signed him to a big four-year deal uh for more than 90 million bucks uh but he he's been playing well i mean you can't you can't argue his numbers when he's been out there he's been a really good offensive player without a doubt man and he did not mind the boo birds when he came to guarantee Ray field not one bit and drove it out of the park multiple times against him. I respect that when, when a guy doesn't mind leaning in in that way either. Uh, so the trade deadline, we're just a few weeks away from that, man. At what point do the Twins start their, their massive and rampant sell-off that folks are anticipating? Yeah, I, I think they're down that path. I mean, I, I, I'd love to tell you that, you know, it's, it's not going to happen, but I, I can't tell you that with, you know, all honesty that the Twins right now are anything but sellers. I mean, it's just the way that they have to look at things right now, barring a, a shocking turnaround here on this week-long homestand before the All-Star break. The Tigers come to town uh, for four games beginning on Thursday. So they're early, still have actually about midway now through a stretch of 25 straight games in the division. But just, uh, you know, they, they just have played so poorly at home. They've only won three home series all year. Uh, so that's that's been a big disappointment. But yeah, I think that there are certainly some prominent names, you know, guys that are on expiring contracts, whether that's Nelson Cruz or or Michael Pineda or Hansel Robles that are that are certainly going to come up in conversation. Uh, but then guys that they still control, you know, through next season. Jose Barrios is up after 2022. Taylor Rogers, Byron Buxton, Tyler Duffy. Those those four names certainly come to mind. But even a guy like Kepler, even a guy like Polanco, I mean, I think they're going to listen on just about everybody. I mean, in my mind, I think there's a couple of guys that there's no way they're going to move, and, and, and a guy like Kirilov and maybe Larnick, and, you know, Buxton's hurt right now, um, so maybe that, that hurts it a little bit. But, yeah, I think they have to be open-minded right now. And, you know, a strength that the Twins had entering the year, too, Big Ant, was they loved the, the, the starting pitching they were building throughout their organization so many of those guys are hurt right now. I mean, of their current 40-man roster, they have used 37 of the 40-man on the on the 40-man roster at the big league level this season. That's how decimated they have been with injuries, pitching, position players, you name it. And some of the reserves that we thought, okay, you lose a couple guys here and there, 
that could help out. Well, those guys are hurt too. And some, you know, in one case, this guy, Blaine Enlow, he's out for the year and, and changed with Tommy John surgery. So that, that was unexpected. So they have been hurt big leagues throughout the minor leagues. And that, that's a part of why they're in the spot that they're in right now. Bailey Ober taking the bump for the Twins tonight. Uh, for, for Sox fans who maybe didn't catch him last time around, what, what should we expect out of him? You know, he's somebody that also uh, did not pitch at all because of no minor league season in 2020. He's had some injuries going back to 2018, 2019. Uh, he's the second tallest pitcher in Twins history. Only John Roush uh, has got him by about an inch. Um, that's, a, that's a random fact for you. But, you know, he's 6'9", but he doesn't throw too hard. You know, throw, you know, low to mid-90s. But they're really watching uh, his pitch count. He's somebody that, even when he's going right, you know, though they won't let him go beyond 75, 80 pitches. So that's something that they have been watching uh, because of his injury history and the fact that he didn't pitch at all last season. So if, if he if he has a good one going tonight and he may come out after four innings because his pitch count is at 75, that's all just part of the plan that they have to keep uh, Bailey's arm and shoulder and elbow healthy uh, for the entire 2021 season. Corey, as a Chicago win till Chicago wins, I, I did, uh, I, before I let you go, I'd love to get your opinion. I, I've begun running through my list of what I'm calling the most combustible Chicago sports athletes of this century. I've gone 10 through 6. Zach Levine, Devin Hester, Duncan Keith, Chris Bryant, and Brian Erlacher. Erlacher not quite inside my top five. Uh, was, was there any out of those five names I mentioned so far that you would like to call me crazy about? No, that's pretty good. I mean, yeah, Devin Hester was just awesome. I mean, I you know I I haven't lived in Chicago in a long time, so I just, I couldn't give you a, just a, a random name. I'm just trying to think quickly about you know I worked on the Cubs broadcast and I grew up a Cubs fan. Just some of the guys that uh, you know Alfonso Soriano too to me Ooh. when when he was because he'd have these injuries too, but. Yeah. Man, 2007, 2008, he'd go on these home run just runs that we could carry a team. Um, you know, I thought that was uh, that was significant. Aramis Ramirez was a guy that played all the time, but if he had a nagging injury, that would hurt the team. But he wasn't always hurt. And, like, Soriano, to me, wasn't always hurt. So I think that's the kind of path you're going down. Um, oh, yeah. yeah, I mean – I mean, you want to get into Kerry Wood and Mark Pryor. Obviously, those would be uh, those would be some important names. Uh, looking yeah. back, uh, and you know, th- during those times where the Cubs had good teams, they just can keep, keep those two two arms healthy. But uh, oh, no, I, I like I like your picks. Those are pretty good. All right, I appreciate you, man. I will let you get ready for the broadcast tonight, and look forward as always to catching up with you again soon, man. Thanks, Corey. Big Ant, enjoyed it, man. Hope to catch up and work together in the fall. No doubt. As Corey Provis join me on the Circle Resort and Casinos in Las Vegas hotline here on The Score. So there have been a number of texters who have been calling me crazy for the list that I've put together so far. That was just numbers 6 through 10. After we take the time out, I'm going to come back and give you my numbers 5, working up to number 1 of the 10 most combustible Chicago athletes of the century. We'll get back into that next year on The Score. Coming down the stretch of hour number two with you here on Chicago Sports Radio 670, The Score. Anthony Heron in here with you on a Monday, and I gave you the initial five names that I had on my list of the 10 most combustible Chicago athletes of this century so far. Of course, there's a so far on that because we're still fairly early in the century. So it was one thing for those of us who were alive and active and 
and participating in viewing the sports landscape in the late 90s and seeing the, the initial, the previous century come to a close there. You had like the Sports Century special that ESPN put out at a certain point. I remember watching that very closely. Everybody did. I wanted to know, all right, who are the top 100 athletes of the, you know, the previous century? Now, at this point, we are. We're in, we're in year number 21 coming into this century, so it seems fitting. We're a couple of decades into this thing to be able to, coming off of the July 4th holiday weekend and coming off of all the complaints that many of us may have had about the fireworks spectacles and the sonic booms going on left and right, and, you know, I, I, I don't quite get why. It continues to do two things. I don't quite understand. One, I actually get a little bit the the notion of folks lighting fireworks during the day. No, you're not necessarily getting the the bright light show, but not every firework is really about the colorful aerial spectacle. They don't all shoot into the air. A lot of folks just like lighting off something that's going to have a really loud boom and damage their ears. I'm not into it so much, but some folks are into that. So you cross the border to Indiana. You bring some explosive things back, and you get in trouble here in the Chicago area. That's how a lot of things tend to go around this city. So I get that. I don't necessarily get the appeal of lighting them at like 2 and 3 in the morning. I I tend to go to bed fairly late. These last few nights in the city, man, it's it's just nonstop through, through the wee hours of the morning. So I don't know. For whatever reason. Folks determine that, that the late wee hours, maybe there's just less risk of, of being in trouble, of getting a ticket or worse for the popos. Who knows? But folks are out there making these fireworks happen at all hours. But all years so far of this century, we have seen some of the great athletes in and around this city, their exploits, what they've been getting it done. So let's work through my top five of the 10 most combustible Chicago athletes of the century and the, the fifth name. Getting into the top five here. Number five on this list is an individual who's just been here for a few seasons at this point. Still an active member of that Chicago Bears defense. But the transaction that brought this individual from the Raiders to the Bears was really the big note that ended up ringing to so many Bears fans saying, you know what? Maybe Ryan Pace is trying to put some kind of a championship puzzle together in the near future. Now, of course, that hasn't completely come together. And where we've seen the superhuman exploits of Khalil Mack on the football field at times, folks are wondering, hey, how come he doesn't look like a superhero at all times? It's a worthwhile question. He gets paid handsomely to be able to answer that question. But when it comes down to it, when you're talking about athleticism and playmaking ability, there have been very few individuals in the history of this city, let alone just in this century, who have done it, been able to combine that athleticism with the playmaking ability that we've seen from the greatness of Khalil Mack. Snap back, Rodgers facing pressure, hit from behind, and finally brought down to the play. Khalil Mack brings him down at the 44-yard line, and that'll be a sack for the Bears of Aaron Rodgers. He tried to eject the pocket, and finally they get him down to the ground on a loss of three on the sack. Now, I know some of you out there, and I was reading the text line early with some of the frustrations about some of the previous names, like Chris Bryant, who I had at number seven, or folks talking about Brian Erlacher, who I had at number six, or even folks talking about you know Zach Levine coming in at number 10. But specifically to Khalil Mack, and I'm sure some of you have complaints about that because you're thinking, oh, he's overrated. Oh, he's not as good as we think he should be. But Khalil Mack at 6'3", 260, when you look at the way that he rushes the quarterback. Like he and Von Miller are are essentially the same size. Like Khalil Mack's got a couple of pounds on Von Miller, but when you think of Von Miller and how he attacks the game of football, how he approaches pass rushing, 
255, 260, being in that range, it's normally more of a finesse rusher at that size, someone who predicates their pass rushing abilities more off of speed. Khalil Max got plenty of that. He can beat you around the corner, get some speed in your feet, turn the edge on you, but he also, at that size, can rush you with power. We've seen so many highlights of him just dominating, just running over offensive tackles on his way to the QB. So that, the combination, when you, I'm using the term combustible, I'm talking about not only combustible speed, but combustible power. And in some cases, from other guys on the list, combustible leaping ability. All these things that just can really show the type of athlete that a guy like Khalil Mack is. And oh, by the way, he's got pretty soft hands too. So that hand-eye coordination, just like a guy like Chris Bryant, all those things to me come into account when I'm thinking about a guy who's just combustible as an athlete. So Khalil Mack, no, no problem having him in the top five of my list here. Let's move on to number four, where again, when I got to the hockey topic, I hit up guys like Jay Zawaski and a couple other folks who, uh, who I'll address in a moment the way that I put sort of some inquiries out to a few people to just help make sure I had a few ideas about some names that I wouldn't be missing anyone. But getting back to the, one of the hockey players on the list here, one of the great offensive forces that the sport has ever seen, certainly that this city of Chicago has ever seen on the ice, and a guy who frequently enough just kind of makes the game look easy, is able to just sort of, you know, smoothly, slyly coast his way up and down the ice, and at times doesn't even look like he necessarily has to go max effort to make these things happen. But that, to me, is a big part of what the greatness of Patrick Kane revolves around because he's an individual who even when he's not going full tilt is still able to have that knack to have that hand-eye coordination to have some of the things between speed and coordination that make him one of the more effective offensive forces that we have ever seen. And again, one of the great and combustible athletes we have seen this century in this city. We'll lay it back, overskated by Stahl, collected by Debrinket. Now he and Kane come on a two-on-one. Kane delays. He'll drag it. His shot. He scores! That's hockey, baby! That's 400 for Patrick Kane! And for Patrick Kane, the way that he's able to make it happen and at times making it look easy, that can sometimes be something that leads to a bit of frustration in some of the hockey fans. But for the the exploits that he's had on the ice and the way he's been able to carry the tasks out of just being the leading scorer, being the leading offensive force. And, you know, we'll hope coming off of what we saw last season and some of the struggles and what we didn't see, frankly, of him on the ice last season. Right now, reportedly, he's feeling much better. He'll be taking the ice again and still in his early 30s. So plenty of hockey remains to be played for Patrick Kane. So that'll be a great thing because overall he, he has been one of the most effective and electrifying offensive forces that the sport has seen. So I got no problem putting him at number four on the list. Now, the top three, I'll be honest, I really began to struggle there. I really felt okay 10 working up through four. Top three gave me a bit of a hard time because these are, these are individual talents that between their raw athleticism and their career arcs, their playmaking ability, all will have some things that can perhaps be questioned. So I'll start of course, with number three here for an individual who was an acquisition brought in to the city of Chicago after beginning his career elsewhere as a professional athlete, was a track star at the high school level, was a basketball star in both high school and college, but made his money in the National Football League, being the number two pick in the NFL draft by the Carolina Panthers, spent the initial bulk of his career there, 
before signing with the Bears and spending several dominant seasons here. Multiple Pro Bowl nods again during that time period. I'm, of course, at number three on the list talking about Julius Peppers. Batted up in the air by Peppers. He dives forward and intercepts the football. Are you serious? I mean, some of the terms I was using earlier when talking about Chris Bryant, his versatility, I think when we think of what J.J. Watt brought to the table, has brought to the table so far up to this point in his career, a lot of those similar traits and abilities go with Julius Peppers. Just Peppers didn't happen to consistently be on great teams throughout his career. So I think some of the exploits of Julius Peppers at times went a little bit underappreciated, a little bit under the radar. But when you look at a guy of his stature, man, six foot seven, nearly 300 pounds, ran like a deer. I mean, like a state championship relay team in high school a, a, and a really effective player in ACC basketball. And then, of course, everything he did between being named the, the defensive rookie of the year in the NFL what, multiple all-decade teams throughout his career as well for the longevity that he had in the league and nearly 160 career sacks. And during his time here with the Bears, the, the focal point of so many opposing defenses is still able to be really effective and make plays, and in a similar fashion to Khalil Mack, where I think the expectations for Julius Peppers, where at times it just seemed like the abilities were superhuman for some of the exploits that he had there, and... It wasn't always to the same degree, to the same extent. You didn't always see the splash play, but when you did, it was there. It was highlight-worthy. And combining the size, the strength, the ability to move around at times throughout the defensive front, certainly the playmaking ability to rush with speed, finesse, power, acumen, all those things, making him one of the preeminent defensive ends in the history of the National Football League, a future Hall of Famer. So I'm sure some folks will take a little issue with that because You're thinking about, well, how come he didn't always look like Spider-Man combined with Captain America? But those expectations are difficult to to meet and exceed at times. I'll move up to number two on this list. For an individual who's been retired for for quite a while at this point, and frankly, a lot of his exploits really began during the previous century, began during a time where baseball was, was kind of in its doldrums a little bit, and then, you know, you had Cal Ripken and you know, his sort of chase of the Lou Gehrig record that was beginning to bring folks back to the sport of baseball a little bit. Then once you got to the late 90s, and especially to the home run chase in 1998, there were individuals like myself who became more passionate about baseball than we ever had been before. And for a guy of his stature, for a guy of his lineage from where he came from, you certainly look at what he was earlier in his career to where he was at that point about a decade in, and you say, all right, his body grew, his biceps grew, his thighs grew, his head grew, and certainly his home run prowess grew as well. Of course, at this point, I'm talking about none other than number two on the list with Sammy Sosa. There are the targets. Like I said, I know some of these names I have in the top three will will bring about a little bit more discussion. And, you know, Sammy's initially electrifying times here in the city of Chicago, both with the White Sox and with the Cubs, frankly. A lot of that was prior to the year 2000, but he was still getting it done at a really high level. 
2000, 2001, up through 2003. And, of course, he, he moves on and goes on to Baltimore after that 04 season. And things didn't end on good terms, as has been discussed on this station and others in great detail. But just specific to the, the impact that he had on the sport, that alone, I think just you know, beyond just his, his raw physical traits, he had an explosive impact on the sport. This is one of the guys who saved baseball, essentially. Now, whether or not baseball was going to dissipate and disappear and go away, who knows for sure. But it did feel like things around baseball were on life support when you got into the, the mid to late 90s. And what Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire were able to get done certainly enhanced <laughs> as far as the performance and, and what they were putting into their bodies. But when it comes down to it, this list is my list. I don't have any issue putting Sammy Sosa on there. He may not ever be welcome back to Wrigley Field. I got nothing to do with that. But for me, when I really became, you know, I'm sort of certainly watching the, the White Sox and the Cubs at different points before that. But as passionate as I ever was about baseball, and I'm not alone here, was while watching Sammy Sosa and his exploits for the Cubs during that period in the late 90s and just keeping that rolling up into the 2000s. I mean, you think of some of the home run derbies that this guy was in. I think of one in particular down in Atlanta when the entire stadium is on its feet chanting his name, five-foot home run, 500-foot home run after 500-foot home run. Sammy, Sammy, just all throughout that place. The explosion of his bat, the explosion of his presence, the explosion of his personality, the combustible nature of just his aura on the field and his intimidation at the plate. Yes, I got zero problem putting Sammy Sosa at number two on this list. Number one, I think this, this may end up being a, a more popular choice than what I initially was thinking in my head, but I'm wondering a bit whether or not, and I'll get some reaction after we get to a timeout. We'll talk some track and field in a couple of moments here as well. But the, the pressure on this individual coming out of the city of Chicago, the pressure on him being a guy who played one season of collegiate basketball and then being viewed, being hoped for as, as somebody who could come in and save what at the time was a bit of a moribund Bulls franchise and being able to come in, not only meet, but in many ways exceed those expectations through his approach, through his combustible physical abilities and becoming the youngest player in NBA history to win a league MVP honor. When you're talking this century in the city of Chicago, there has not been a more combustible presence on the court than Derrick Rose. Good defense. Lead pass. Whoa! Stop it! Stop it! They not do him like that! What are you doing, Dragons? Did you not get the memo? Derrick Rose can go upstairs. He can do it, man. And, and Stacey King can certainly. You remember all those exciting highlights of Stacey King calling those games and Derrick Rose dunking on folks, flying by folks, finishing at the basket. And it's been a lot of fun. It's been so much fun seeing the resurgence. at multiple stops here throughout this phase, this stage of Derrick Rose's career, whether Minnesota, Detroit, New York. And we'll see. Uh, some of us can hold out a little bit of hope that maybe, just maybe, as the Bulls are in need of a point guard, perhaps this season, uh, not not to only use it in a specific term, specifically the season that we're in right now, but this season of Derrick Rose's basketball career, as it is very likely on the back nine, wondering if he will make his return to the Chicago Bulls again. Probably a bit far-fetched, a lot of water under that bridge, but who knows, man, because the Bulls need a point guard, and D. Rose is getting it done at a really high level again, as explosive as any athlete that this city has ever seen. And certainly when we're talking this century, number one on my list. 
So that is 10 up through one for me of the most combustible Chicago athletes of this century. Zach Levine, Devin Hester, Duncan Keith, Chris Bryant, Brian Erlacher, Khalil Mack, Patrick Kane, Julius Pepper, Sammy Sosa, and Derek Rose. Going to get to some track and field. A little bit of an Olympic preview with Lewis Johnson on the other side of this timeout. And after that, we'll have some track discussion, talk some Shakari Richardson, and give you a preview of everything happening in track and field on the way to Tokyo. And after that, in the final hour, we'll open up the phone lines as well. Let some of you folks react, read some texts, have some fun, do a lot of those things there. But for now, we got to get to a break. We'll come back, get to some Olympic coverage here with the man himself, Lewis Johnson. We'll do that next on Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score.